Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by 4constructionpros.com and covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. My name is Becky Schultz, editor of Equipment Today, and in this episode, Jess Dehoviak, National Safety Director for Sunbelt Rentals, sheds light on some of the common safety myths and misconceptions he's encountered related to both fall protection and equipment used to work at heights, and the steps that can be taken to promote a safer job site. Let's dig in with Jeff now. Just to kick things off, Jeff, can you tell me a little bit about your role as the, the National Safety Director with Sunbelt Rentals? Yeah, I manage uh, our pretty much our customer-facing um, training. Uh, we do a lot of training for customers on operator training and scaffold training uh, throughout the country and Canada. And uh, my role is to manage that that process. We've got about forty-five trainers around the country uh, that do training for us, and I have three what I call master trainers that work for me directly that travel around doing train the trainer classes or scaffold classes or specialty. We actually have been doing some consulting on job sites as well. And uh, then my other role is kind of a, a subject matter expert on aerial lifts and forklifts and equipment in general for uh, internal uh, accidents we have and incidents and safety uh, policies and things like that. Right. So obviously you've been following things such as the new ANSI standards pretty closely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm on the committee. I've been on the committee for a little over 25 years now. So okay. been, and we were part of the appeal, one of the appeals that held it up. <laughs> oh, really? So, okay. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Well, um, great. Uh, what we're looking at talking about here is um, the safety myths or misconceptions that you've encountered when you've gone around um, the job sites around the country. Um, can we talk about that a little bit and just um, share more about what you've seen and how those, and also just talk about how those misconceptions can enhance problems or risks on the job site? Yeah, certainly. Absolutely. I, this is one of my, as I get older, I get more and more pet peeves. And this is one of my, uh, one of, has been one of my pet peeves for a while. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think one of the, um, the, the major ones I hear a lot, we issue, you know, when we do training, uh, we give the customer an attendance sheet. Uh, that states they've completed, the people attending the class have completed the class, and we tell them this is your proof of training should OSHA come and ask about training or anybody ask for training. And then, you know, within a week or two, we mail them uh, wallet cards uh, for the individuals. Uh, so one of the myths is that, you know, an employee is required to have a wallet card on them showing they've been trained, and that is just not true. It's always up to the employer to prove he trained his employees and not the other way around. So, um, you know, OSHA can't cite an employee, so they cite the employer, so the employer has an obligation to prove he trained his employees. That's one of the myths that uh, is, is pretty prevalent. Uh, along with the wallet cards, a wallet card doesn't mean you were trained either. Um, it just says you attended a class. Um, 
you could still go out and do something totally wrong and get cited by OSHA for training because maybe you weren't paying attention during that part of the training and you didn't okay, right, pick right. up on something. Right. So uh, most common thing I see is not people not wearing their seatbelt when a seatbelt's required, um, not wearing a harness and lanyard or not hooking their hand harness and lanyard up in a boom lift. Um, you know, even though they've had a class, you know, first of all, you can still get seriously hurt or killed. That's the most <laughs> biggest problem. And uh, secondly, it, it uh, you know, it violates OSHA standards. Right, sure, sure. Are there any other things that in particular that you've encountered that, um, that are, are very inherent on today's job sites, especially when it comes to the aerial side of things? Um, yeah, I think one of the things we've learned through training, I think that most people walk out of a class understanding that the lift is not necessarily going to protect you from things. You know, we've got cars now that uh, have anti-collision or warning devices on them that warn you when you're backing up, things like that. And uh, construction equipment in general, but aerial lifts as well, just don't have those functions. And um, while they will stay inside a safe working envelope and not tip over on firm flat level ground, um, you know, they, you have to really pay attention to everything that's going on with that piece of equipment in order to not have an incident or accident. Um, I think most people leave our classes. I've had people leave my class saying, I've been doing this for 28 years. I had no idea that it was this involved. This, there was this many hazards. Really? <laughs> and they, yeah, yeah. And, they, and then they'll say, you know, also, yes, during the class, they'll say, yes, I experienced that, but I didn't know there was a way of of uh, mitigating that hazard or or not having the lift do that um so uh that's where training comes in for every all this equipment um is to make people aware of what can go wrong um and how to deal with it can you cite any specific examples of, of things that um people have come back to you and said well i didn't know that could happen if i did this yeah, one that's very disturbing um, that I've had throughout my career is aerial lifts that we rent are not insulated from power lines. And amazingly enough, besides general workers saying they didn't know that, I've had pretty high up safety people come to me. I had one guy <laughs> after doing a demonstration, well, there's this new ANSI standard out and I've been, before COVID, I was traveling around the country doing little demos for contractors on what uh, this new standard is and showing them some of the new lifts because we've already been getting some of them in. Right. And um, I had one safety guy actually followed me to the parking lot, I think because he might have been embarrassed to say in front of everybody, but he questioned me on the power line thing and I said, no, none of our lifts are insulated from power lines. You got to stay, you know, a minimum of 10 feet away and in some cases more depending on voltage. Um, I think that's one of the more dangerous myths uh, that I've, I've encountered. Um, and you know, it's just like anything else. If you get, you know, in a year, if you get 10 people say, I didn't know that, there's probably a hundred more that won't admit they didn't know that. You know what I mean? So <laughs> right. I get that a lot. So I would say, I would say that's one. Um, the catapulting, the whole wearing a harness and being connected to Anchorage Point and wearing seatbelts is a whole nother thing that we've run into. Um, I 
truly believe in 34 years of doing this and 20 plus years of training that people don't wear their seatbelt because they believe uh, in their mind, some way, somehow, some justification in their mind that wearing a seatbelt is more hazardous because they think they can jump or they don't want to go down with the lift or any number of uh, things that, you know, are in their head. Um, so I think that that seatbelt thing is, you know, it, you know, in your own life, uh, people don't wear seatbelts in cars. Sure. And the people who don't purposely don't wear them. It's not like they forget. They purposely don't wear them because somehow they figured out in their own head that, you know, I don't know what they're thinking, quite honestly, but, sure. <laughs> you know, somehow sure. they've justified it in their own head. Uh, I, I truly believe that if somebody doesn't wear a seatbelt in their car, they're not going to wear a seatbelt on a forklift um, or a piece of construction equipment at all. Um, right, right. And we, even I have, you know, even before I became involved in the construction industry, I was in a, a field where someone was operating a forklift and was not wearing a seatbelt. It tipped. They tried to jump out and they ended up being pinned and suffered serious injuries. So, I mean, the risks are real, um, obviously. Yeah, and you know the the wraps, the rollover protection structure, uh, the cage that you sit in, just like a car, um, is there to protect you, but it can't protect you if you're not buckled in. Um, and invariably, what's sad is the wraps canopy that's there to save your life is usually uh, what kills the person. It's right. usually that's what they get trapped under. Sure, sure. Is there anything else that, um, in particular, in terms of, of common things that you've heard about uh, where someone wasn't aware that there was a problem with a specific practice? Um, anything else that you, you've encountered that you'd like to share? Yeah, specifically to aerial lifts, one of the things we cover extensively in our training is the direction arrows. One of the ways people... Uh, trap themselves in the platform uh, by an overhead obstruction or ceiling is they reverse, they ro rotate the turret or the uh, boom they call slew, it rotates 180 degrees and what happens is the drive controls are now reversed. So it's the same as an excavator. Sure. Uh, you spin an excavator around 180 degrees, the pedals or sticks are reversed, you push them forward, the machine's going to go backwards. Um, that is, uh, there's direction arrows on the machine, and G JLG uses black and white arrows, Genie uses blue and yellow, um, and I've had numerous people walk out of my classes going, you know, I always saw those arrows, but until you explained how to use them, I didn't understand what they were. Um, and there's an explanation right on the control panel that tells you what you know what they do but you know nobody reads directions so sure. <laughs> uh, unfortunately I, yeah I have, a, I, have, I have a saying real men don't read directions um so yeah so uh, you know we we spend some time explaining it now most manufacturers now have put an enable switch meaning if you rotate the turret past one of the drive tires the machine will not drive until you activate another switch kind of forcing you to think okay this these controls are now reversed um so uh the black and white arrows are still important in, in direction of travel so we, we just instruct people once we explain it always no matter what no matter what how sure you are of the direction of travel of the chassis the, ba the base of the boom 
look at the arrows and push the joystick in the direction you want the chassis to move, black or white or blue or yellow. Because, um, like I say, everybody who drove in the wrong direction and trapped themselves was absolutely sure when they pushed the pull the joystick, it was going to go in the direction they thought it was going to go, and it didn't. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think that's a, that's a big one where people walk out of a class. I mean, again, I had a guy that was 20-some years in industrial painting, which is all, he lives on a boom lift, and he walked out of my class going... I can't believe I didn't know what those were. <laughs> you know, sure. um, so uh, yeah, so it's it's, uh, it's it's real relevant. And the good and bad part of this is being in this rental business for 34 years. You know, I've seen possibly not every way a customer can hurt themselves on a lift or forklift or other piece of equipment, but I've seen more than I care to think about ways people have done it and the average worker is not going to experience, you know, in his lifetime, he may not ever experience an incident or accident. Right. But I've seen hundreds of them being in a rental business. So we have that uh, as any rental company would have, you know, a, a, a lot of experience with the way customers use this equipment or misuse it. <laughs> for that misuse it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, and I, especially in the rental industry, when the, the training levels, with the rental customer, you don't know what type of training they may or may not have had. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one thing, you know, kudos to contractors, especially general contractors. It's gotten a lot better. Um, you know, than it used to be um, right. a lot, lot more people have some sort of training now. In fact, you know, what, what's funny in the construction business is very transient. So sometimes a customer, uh, a student will call up and say, hey, I need my wallet card or I need a new wallet card. And I'll look him up and he worked for four different companies in five years, you know, so, uh, <laughs> and he's been wow. trained every time. Sure. <laughs> so we have that uh, extreme as well, but uh, it's gotten a lot better. It's gotten a lot better. And I, I, a lot of that's been driven by general contractors making it a requirement. Great. Well, the improvements in safety are there. It's just there are still some, there's a ways to go, obviously. Oh, yeah, obviously, yeah. obviously, right. Yeah. Right. Now, I don't know if this is relevant or not, but have you seen anything new or unique coming out of the industry as a result of the pandemic? Um, have you heard of anything that, or seen anything that that um, is it? kind of attributed to changes that have gone on in the last several weeks? Uh, Yes, Uh, a couple of things. First of all, um, we are not forcing, but we are pushing our customers to do online training. We have an online uh, operator aerolift and forklift class. Sure, okay. And and then we've also been doing some virtual classes, which are instructor-led, but you know, via uh, Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever the customer's preferences. So we've seen a a tremendous uh, increase in that type of learning. Uh, The unfortunate thing is the construction industry is so backwards. It just, they, they don't have the technology. You know, I could drive to their office and set their system up you know, I've had customers say, I don't have a camera on my laptop. Yeah, you do. If you bought one in the last <laughs> five years, you have a camera or I can't get it to turn on or I don't know how to hook it up to the TV or, you know, I could go there in 10 minutes and plug everything in and train, you know, 10 people um, virtually, uh, but they just don't have the, the 
the expertise to, to, to set that up. But that has improved dramatically and customers have forced themselves to, to fix some of those things. And, um, you know, as you know, probably in your business as well, you know, uh, nobody even knew what Zoom was back in February. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> right. um, now everybody knows, you know, how you know to navigate it and turn the camera on and all that stuff so that's that's been an improvement um other things that i've seen is some aerolift companies have come up with uh plexiglass barriers on the on the lifts to, to put a wall between a small wall between the two op the two people in the lift um you've seen some of that um some of the customers i've talked to have a very good friend in safety in tampa doing a big uh, cancer center over there and um they've enacted pretty stringent uh, covid pol- pro- protocols and they have 300 and some people working there have no they've had no covid cases so um you know we know he says you know it, but you know what's sad about this is it kind of he's even said it it's giving everybody kind of a false sense of security sure. and people are dropping their guard and he's his job is you know to keep things as you know where they were so they don't have a case right so we've seen we've seen some uh, some good some good stuff there well that that's positive to hear that there's actually good things that have resulted um, from out of the pandemic. Um, And also, I think the the advantages that we're going to see is that now that people know how to use online learning, it probably is going to make your job a little easier in in being able to reach more people with the training that's needed. Yeah, well, I've, on the new ANSI standard, I've got a, an hour-long presentation I do uh, for customers um, free. I just did one for uh, Gilbane uh, yesterday uh, for about 30 of their people. And um, it uh, I've done almost one a week since March for various organizations, um, AGC, ABC, NECA. I'm doing one uh, next week for NECA. Um, so uh, there has usually I would travel and I'd have to arrange and you know just to travel someplace for a couple of days is for my company is like two thousand dollars and you know I can sit in my office and, sure. and, and do it and 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 actually probably hit more people because they're all over the place. Um, I'm also an AMSHA training, mining safety and health trainer within our company and. Um, when I did a live class, I'd have maybe five or six people show up for the class. I've had no less than 12 and as many as 27 in a class virtually. Really? Yeah. So, and there, you know, the one where I had 12, there were from four different locations all across the country. And the one where I had 27 or so, uh, they were from eight different locations across the country. I could not have done that in, a, in an instructor led live class. Right. So, um, there's definitely some advantages for me uh, and for the company because I can hit more employees that way. Uh, the AMSHA class, if you don't know, is a 24-hour class. So it's three days, eight hours a day. Okay. So, um, yeah, for, you know, there's still a cost to take the employee out of the out of the workforce for that three days. But uh, the travel cost for me of, you know, $2,000 to $2,500 for flights and everything else is, there's, is, not, is nil, nothing. Well, and conversely, for the company to have to send someone to that yep. training course, there's a cost there on their side. So there's yep. a saving. There's, even though you're paying for the course, you're not paying all the additional ancillary yeah. costs that go along with it. So there's definitely some advantages that have, I think have come out of this. Yeah. Uh, so looking at things um, 
from the perspective of the ANSI standards that have just recently been put in place, do you see any of the changes that have been implemented as a result of that um, to the, the lifts? Um, has that changed or assisted with uh, addressing some of the, the challenges that you've seen, some of those myths or misconceptions that you've seen out in the, the, on the job site? Do you, is it helping to mitigate anything in that regard? Uh, it's too early to tell. Okay. Um, the, uh, d there's three parts to the new ANSI standard. The d design, which is the lift itself, and that has to do with the manufacturers and the, and the and, uh, new things they've had to put on the lift. Then there's safe use and training. So safe use and training, those two parts affect us as trainers and trainees and attendees to classes and users of the equipment. So it's kind of too early to tell. One big aspect I think that's going to impact um, once uh, supervisors get trained is uh, there is a requirement in the new standard for supervisors to be trained. Um, and I simply tell supervisors, hey, sit through an operator class. You know, you will learn a lot about what your duties are as a supervisor if you sit through an operator class. But unfortunately, another issue we have is the supervisor calls up and say, hey, Jeff, I need five people trained Tuesday. I go, okay, great. And I show up and five people are there, but the supervisor never sits through the class. I mean, how do you enforce? I mean, I'm telling a guy to stay 10 feet away from a power line. Once I leave, I go home. I don't know what that guy's doing, you know. Um, right. Does the supervisor know? So I think that's going to be the biggest impact to the standard once, you know, more and more supervisors are aware of the hazards, uh, how this equipment works, things like that. Um, okay. On the design side, I'm not sure we're going to see it move the needle much. Quite a bit changed on the design side, but it was pretty much to harmonize with international standards. So sure. manufacturers could make one lift for the world, basically, because mm -hmm. until eight years ago or, you know, when the standard came out, we started working on this eight years ago on the ANSI standard. ISO, um, these these design changes were put in place in international standards back in 2001. So Europe and parts of Asia and even Australia were kind of complying with the new ISO standards and the US and Canada was kind of behind. So it, it pretty much is advantages the manufacturer. So when you know somebody like JLG makes a boom lift in McConnellsburg, Pennsylvania, they can ship it anywhere. They can ship it to Canada, they can ship it to Europe under this new standard because it'll com all comply. Um, but load sensing, you know, we just don't see a lot of accidents regarding overloading equipment. Equipment is overloaded. Don't get me wrong. It is sure. overloaded, but we don't see a lot of accidents related to that. Okay. okay. The, other, the other big design change was drive uh, out of level drive cutout. So once the machine reaches, is elevated to a certain height and you drive out of level, usually more than five degrees, drive is going to shut off. Not sure that's going to change much either. Most of the accidents I see regarding that type of accident is the ground gives way underneath one or two tires and the machine, you know, catastrophically fails or they drive off a curb at elevation. Yeah, the machine is going to stop once it's out of level, but you've already driven off the curb, so right. uh, it's probably going to tip over anyway. So I, I, that is going to remain to be seen, whether any of those changes are going to happen. Uh, some things we'd like to see happen eventually is some sort of anchorage, uh, lanyard anchorage warning device, like your seatbelt in your car. Um, currently, there's nothing on lifts that does that. Uh, we'd like to see some 
changes and several manufacturers are working on things like that that'll warn people that they're not hooked up or that they should hook up or something to that effect because we see a lot of we still see a lot of fatal accidents where people are wearing their harnesses but they're not hooked to the anchorage point um which kind of defeats the purpose right so it's like not wearing your seatbelt. although they have the harness on and they just have forgotten they, they've changed position there's sure. you know, two other people in the lift and they're moving across each other and they disconnect they forget to reconnect um those type of things so we hope to see some you know changes in that and to 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 help with that situation uh but you know those are called engineered solutions you know you're kind of limited to what you can do for what's effective and um you know is the cost worth the, the outcome, you know, the right. manufacturers have to weigh that all the time. So. Absolutely. So looking at things that are effective um, on a larger scale, what do you see as a means for employers to be able to not only minimize the spread, but to identify and address these safety myths that are out there and the misconceptions that are that are existing on their projects how did they how do they address that well um i think one of the challenges i think in all training is uh you know, getting to the source of a good training course and what is a good training course. You know, in fall protection, for instance, um, I've had people, you know, need a fall protection class and, you know, can you do it in two hours? I, I, I can't. Um, you know, a, a user awareness class is four hours and a competent person class is, you know, a day or a day and a half. Um, because when people think of fall protection, for instance, they think of a harness and lanyard and they say, well, how much do you need to know about that? Well, there's a right. lot of different fall protection other than a harness and lanyard. So um, I think uh, one of the challenges with the myths, I think, in safety is uh, we have a lot of uh, new safety people who just are getting started like I did back in 1991 uh, with little or no knowledge. I was very fortunate. I had a mentor uh, that worked for the insurance company that worked with me for months um, that got me up to speed, probably, you know, gave me three years of education in about three months in safety. Um, but not every safety person who's pointed to by the boss and say hey you're in charge of safety because that's how a lot of people get the job by the way okay. <laughs> the, boss says, the boss says i need a safety guy you look pretty good you know do it um it's uh, a lot of safety people don't have the education or quality or, or qualifications of safety or risk management in their uh resume um i didn't um so uh, you know finding good trainers finding good information uh, i think is the first challenge okay some of the other myths like fall protection for instance is you know the whole harness and lanyard thing um we have done a great job in the united states of putting a harness and lanyard on everybody but i don't think we've done a very good job of protecting workers from falls um I have this saying that a harness and lanyard is not fall protection, and it's not. It does not protect you from falling. It protects you from hitting the ground. Right. Uh, you, right. In order for a harness and lanyard to work, you have to fall. And no one, believe me, no one wants to fall in a harness. 
Um, it's not comfortable. It's you can still get seriously hurt or even killed falling in a harness and and, and attached to an anchorage point. Um, but you know we have to do a better job in the construction business in general in in mitigating those hazards and eliminating the fall hazard to begin with. And again, kudos to general contractors. Many, many, if not all, major general contractors I deal with have put up guardrails, um, very good guardrails versus two by fours or um, um, no guardrails at all uh, on a lot of jobs. Um, so, you know, we've done a lot better job of doing that, but we need to do more um, more to in the in the whole fall protection realm but i you know if you talk up to, if you walk up to a construction worker and say what's the first thing that pops in your mind when i say fall protection they're going to think harness and lanyard when that should that should be the last thing that pops into their mind <laughs> the first thing should be you know guardrails at best um and really ideally not putting a person in the fall hazard to begin with uh, those those should be the first things that uh, that protect keeping your feet on the ground will protect you from a fall at height. Well, right. and, and that's interesting because when you said it i didn't think of that either but you're right i, I mean falls continue to be one of the top um osha reported causes of death in the construction industry and yeah, yeah. they need to be mitigated at all levels well and we need to change you know the, the industry needs to change construction methods too um to reduce the amount of people that work at height and steel erection has done some of that steel erection is assembling a lot of steel on the ground and then flying it up with a crane we've seen a lot of that but a lot more can be done and prefabbing stuff sure uh, prefabbing sprinkler systems things like that um the beauty of, of a lot of the prefab stuff is it saves a tremendous amount of time and, and manpower, man hours, um, if it's prefabbed. Um, and I always tell, I always tell, uh, we have safety councils at Sunbelt Rentals, each store, each region, each district. And I always tell them, don't ever go to the boss and say something safer. Tell them it'll save them money. There you go. Yep. <laughs> as soon as you mention safety or safer, their eyes kind of glaze over, you know, but tell them, hey, boss, you know, I got an idea that, you know, um, we can do this job with one person instead of two. You know, now you've got his attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's unfortunate that that is the case, but yeah. reality, you know, is, is what you have to face there when it comes to those types of things. Yeah. Um, I know that we could probably talk on this topic all day long and, and yep. not exhaust it, but is there <laughs> anything in particular that you would like to kind of um, to add to this conversation or stress about this particular topic at this point before we, we wrap things up? I would say to anybody, um, you know, do your research. Uh, OSHA regulations, easy to access, one of the best websites out there in, uh, for forever. Um, you can do a lot of research there, a lot of interpretation letters on OSHA's websites uh, as well. Um, ANSI standards, uh, if you, for the ANSI, the new A92 standards, uh, the parts that you as users need are $1.50 on uh, Scaffold Access Industry Association's website. There's a secretary to the A92 committee. So you can get the standard uh, A92.22 and 2.4, which is safe use and training for $1.50 a piece um, on saia.org, saiaonline.org uh, slash A92. And uh, uh, you'll find on their page manuals, click on manuals and look for the A92.22 and 2.4 standard. Um, 
that's your source. It's, it's very well laid out, uh, easy to read. Um, I tell people all the time, and in fact, in my ANSI things, I say, if you want to be the smartest guy on the job site, read some operator's manuals. Uh, it's amazing what you can learn when you read the instructions of the, of the, of the proper way to operate certain equipment. Um, I uh, and, and airlift and forklift operator's manuals are all free. Uh, all the manufacturers are they're on their websites. Uh, you just need to know the make and model. Sometimes you need to know the serial number, but not really critical. But uh, serial number helps get you the right manual uh, and read through the manuals. They're pretty much all laid out the same way. So once you read a few, you'll get an idea of how they're laid out and you can kind of skim through them and, and pick up stuff. But uh, you will learn a lot by reading operator's manuals uh, of equipment. Um, and uh, then uh, have uh, somebody, uh, and I always offer myself, I don't have all the answers, but I know because we're the second largest rental company in the country, we, we know, uh, you know, we've got sources. I, I call somebody at Genie or JLG or JCB or whoever, and I get an answer within an hour. Um, so, you know, if you've got a question, you know, reach out to your rental subject matter expert and, and uh, um, get an answer. But operator's manuals are a tremendous source of information. I, I always tell my trainers, um, always check the operator's manual first. If you're gonna, if you ask me a question that I know the answer's in the operator's manual, I'm not gonna answer your question. I'm gonna teach you to fish, not give you fish. <laughs> so. And that's great. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So I would say those are the best, uh, the best sources and continue to educate yourself. Um, you're never going to know it all. Um, it's it's a continual learning process. Uh, you know, I always say I'm a, I'm a student continually. Yeah, and I, I I think we all should continue to be students of, of the industry and what we do. So I agree with you that um, that's a, that's great points. Um, so Jeff, if somebody had questions specifically for you, um, or if they're interested in the training programs that um, Sunbelt offers, is there any way they can get in touch? Yeah. Um our, our general email address for safety training is safety training, all one word, safety training at sunbeltrentals with an S dot com. And um, that goes to all my trainers and me. And, and, you know, we usually answer in mass sometimes, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's okay. But it goes to everybody. So you will get an answer pretty quickly about either training or specific questions you have about equipment. Um, plus, I'm available to do uh, not only the ANSI updates, but I've got presentations on how to read a load chart on a forklift, uh, at uh, uh, forklift attachments. Uh, some are just 15, 20 minutes. Some are 30 minutes, 40 minutes, um, depending. And then any other subject that any customer has um, that they want to talk about or they're having an issue with uh, on scaffold. I've, I've done two uh, what I call like scaffold updates, one hour presentations for superintendents or for two different companies here in Florida uh, by, via Teams, Microsoft Teams. And, um, you know, just getting them up to speed, just brushing up on, you know, what they probably already know, but, you know, kind of forgot. So uh, any subjects like that regarding equipment or scaffolding or swing stages, uh, rescue, rescue is a big subject right now. Sure. Um, uh, got some things on that. So, uh, and if I don't have it, I'll, we'll create it. So, 
Okay, well, great. It sounds like you are a wealth of resources available and a wealth of information. And I really appreciate you taking time out with me today, Jeff, to share this knowledge. And um, I, I, again, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this edition of Digging Deeper. Thank you to Jeff Stahoviak at Sunbelt Rentals for taking the time to talk with us today. Tune in every week for another episode of the Digging Deeper podcast by 4constructionpros.com. You keep listening, we'll keep digging. Until next time.